you must not lose faith in humanity. Humanity is like an ocean. If a few drops of the ocean are dirty, the ocean does not become dirty. Mahatma Gandhi. Bending, Not Breaking. Season 4, Episode 12. End Game. Hey everyone, before we get started with our episode today, I want to provide you with a content warning. This episode, we will be discussing suicide, we'll be discussing abuse, we will be discussing a lot of things that are really um, not necessarily something you might want to be engaging with. So if you're not in the right headspace, and if you want to avoid that kind of a conversation, don't worry, you will see us next time with our next episode. But for this episode, you might just want to skip it till the next time. Just know that we will in be involved in some tough conversation. And if you're going to listen, thank you. And if not, no worries. We're glad that you're a part of this community. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to another episode of Bending Not Breaking. I'm Sunshine. And this is Ben. And we are at the season finale of Season one. one. Oh, I guess book is better. Book one, Legend of Korra. So many things are happening. It's an incredible episode. And for an incredible episode, we needed to bring back an incredible guest. That's right. That's right. Ben, who do we have with us? Uh, back by popular demand. So much demand. Everyone. We have... Back with us, Indira Eudophia. And rather than me butchering her in wonderful credentials, I want to just, Indira, welcome you to tell us all about you and who you are and what you're what you're all about. Hi, everyone. And you flatter. I'm sure there I am not the most requested, but my name oh, is Indira. You <laughs> so much good feedback. Everyone loved your episode on the firebending masters and so one if you haven't listened to that episode and you're listening to this go back and listen to that episode because it's incredible not because ben and i do anything special it's all indira uh and so we are so excited to have you back but yeah you were amazing and we're just for what an incredible episode we want you back and we're glad you're here yes i'm glad that to be invited back so as discussed my name is indira eudophia um i have a lot of degrees because I have a lot of student debt. Um, I'm a therapist. <laughs> um, I am a spiritual coach and counselor. I am a new cat mama. Um, and a, currently I'm a PhD student at UNCG and A&T in the social work department. Um, and I am a nerd and I love cartoons. And so I'm just really grateful to come back and to talk about my queen, the love of my life, Cora. There are not enough people out there that love Cora, and I'm I glad. Agree. That, I'm glad we are like cultivating that community and being. Listen, a place this is a Cora, Cora stan account. I do not take Cora slander very well. I think people really need to need to check their patriarchy. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like it's unreal. The just. It's unreal. Like the the fan base. Like I I wonder. Like I just. I don't have a good. I don't it's, have a good. It's so. It's strange. It's it's not strange it, because it's it's something it's very predictable. Used, it's very right? predictable. Yeah. 
there are always valid critiques of media. There are always valid critiques of shows, of characters, of writing. They're out there. And Korra has those. There are valid reasons to like push back on certain elements of the show. However, I feel like the only <laughs> ones I hear are deeply res- uh, like rooted in misogyny. Yep. Um, Absolutely. Uh, like, and whether it's coded or blatant, like it's that that's always something that's there. Um, and so, like, I'm I'm down to hear some critiques around Korra that are like valid critiques. Because I mean, there are. I haven't some. heard them yet. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and it just it discredits it's it's tough because I think it discredits the real critiques when all you hear it's the same thing with like Ray in Star Wars or uh, Katara even when we're talking Avatar: The Last Airbender like ones that are just so deeply rooted in this unrealistic expectations of the way that we hold female characters to a higher standard than their male counterparts and so like it's very frustrating because when there are valid critiques it's it's shrouded by a very loud, I would hope is the minority of fans in the fandom, but a very loud group of people yeah. um, in regards to their dislike. And it's it's yeah. it's not that you dislike something, it's how you dislike something is really what it is. Like, that's, that's where I have issues. Absolutely. Totally fair. But let's start stop focusing on the negative and let's dive into this episode the is, meat of this episode. This episode is like... <laughs> so chock full of so there's so much that goes down oh it's so good i'm really excited it's to dive not in. enough Rich. time to di- dig in but we're gonna do our best and our lens is humanity yeah so indira you kind of like we had a conversation about this and i want you to kind of help our listeners uh like how did we arrive at this lens what was it that kind of guided us and guided you specifically towards choosing humanity as the lens because there were other ones we were kind of tossing up but we arrived on this one what like what what led to that so you know one of the things is that like like you all have said it is so 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 rich and there's so much um stuff around a non-story and just even Cora having being faced with her own limitations. Um, you have, you know, you have like people navigating grief. And I think at the end of the episode, it's just a beautiful lesson and story about how our humanity not only makes us vulnerable, but actually is the source of our strength, right? So mm. we have so much of um, how fear and um, trying to erase or remove our humanity in order to be to be the best or to avenge or to right wrongs and to become something beyond the tender parts that we forget that it's really our human humanity that drives our fears, our desires, our strengths, our, our concerns. And so I just thought that humanity was broad enough to talk about all of the ways in which vulnerability and purpose and history and connection and disconnection all happened with, which in, within this episode. I, I think our problem is that we're going to be wanting to hit so many different aspects and so many different things. So I, 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 I I'm, I, <laughs> I'm, cause there's so many different things, even just from listening to you say that I'm like, Ooh, I want to talk about all these things. And now I'm nervous. Cause I don't think we're going to get to them all, but we're going to do our best. We're going to do order our best. to do that though. 
And in order to do that, though, we need to remind our listeners who maybe didn't watch this episode recently, we need to make sure that Sunshine gives them a nice full 30-second recap. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pull 30 seconds, we're going to put it on the clock, and we're going to make sure that he is super just informative. I'm cracking for- my neck getting, like in preparation. Got to make sure the diaphragm is ready. And Are you, I'm are you ready? I'm going to say this is my favorite part of the podcast. I'm not going to hold it. <laughs> That's well good because we are terrible at it. Ugh. All right, let's see what happens. All right, on your mark. Okay, get set, go. An electric fence knocks out our heroes as they try to sabotage the airfield. Amon gets revealed on what's behind the mask, but then lifts up Tenzin in the Airbender family has potential threats, and uh, he's going to try to take him out. Korra then jumps in, even though he's baiting her, and sets them free. Massive fights ensue between General Iroh, Korra, Amon. All the bloodbending takes place, but then, even though her powers have been taken from her, we see that she's an airbender, and Amon is wearing a lot of makeup. And then, uh, that's it. That's pretty much it. You know, and then a boat blows up. I, I think you did great. I think you I did you fantastic. It's lucky, again, the sh- episodes where there's a lot of fight scenes, real easy to recap. And there's a fight, and things happen. Like, I can't go blow by blow. Like, I can't what am I, Like I can't say, like, there was a... So it helps when I yeah. just get to say fight scene. Yeah. No. I mean, Indira, I, the, here, the, I'm going to throw down the gauntlet. Do you think you can do better? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to try? <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm gonna, not going to embarrass myself in front of all these beautiful people. <laughs> not with that my grad okay. school brain. <laughs> we're we're going to give you the opportunity, but we're going to give you the opportunity to pass as well. So no worries. <laughs> if I could pass, I would pass it on to Sunshine every time. I mean, but alas. It, I mean you do such a great job. You really do. Oh, stop it. Stop it. It's, we just, you know, there's so much to cover. So yes. let's let's jump into it. Yeah. Moments of humanity in this episode. Yeah. Indira, we're tossing it straight to you. That's like, right. What, what's the okay. point? What's the, the moment you want to lift up first? So can I just go ahead and, like, let's just talk about the arc of Korra in this episode. I think will be a really good way to start. And then we'll kind of okay. move to Anon and Anon's brother. Um, so... The one thing that I realized is that Cora's, uh, what's the word I want to use? Cora's ravenous acceptance of her avatar identity um, is so, so important to how she walks and moves through the world like a bull in a china shop. And I love that about her. I love that being the avatar somehow elevates or um, heightens her sense of fearlessness, her grit and the glory, like she's a warrior. But one of the things that happens and this throughout the entire book one, but especially on this episode is that when she is faced with what she cannot be, when her quote unquote weaknesses are highlighted or amplified, you for, she for, not only you forget, but she forgets that it's okay to kind of like learn and morph into something 
which is a very human trait. And so we see her in this episode, you know, charging into a fight with a lot of fear, but not really honoring that what that fear means. And then having this big giant confrontation with Anon. And then as she realizes that he is not only a bender, but a bloodbender and has this ability to take away power. You can see, there's like a moment where you literally see her humanity step up in a way that like, it's just nothing but unadulterated purity fear. And I think these moments of fear have to remind Korra that she is becoming her full self as the avatar, that she hasn't fully arrived at it yet. And I think that kind of willingness to kind of, to, to not willingness, but the kind of forced reality of the fact that we don't have it all together is something that is so human because we always want to be our purpose, be our thing, walk into who exactly we're becoming. And we never realize that there's a lot of failures and trials and errors that are required for us to be our full selves. It is literally yeah. that journey of becoming that makes us human. And I think Cora has to be reminded that just because she has these abilities does not negate her humanity. Yeah, one of the 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 memes that pops up around Avatar lore in general is that mm-hmm. Aang was learning to be a superhero and then Korra is learning to be human. Mm-hmm. And it's like kind of like showing the difference between the two and like Aang was always like always humble and always kind of very modest whereas Korra is, is the opposite, right? She is so well developed in her bending of the first three elements that she mastered that like they came so easy to her and so it's one like it's interesting to see, to watch this process of her becoming more fully human through exactly what you're describing by through her failures through mm-hmm. her realizing that she, she's not you know perfect that she's not a, a fully realized superhero yet and I, th- I think that that lesson in in humility is a pretty big component to what humanity looks like for us. Well, I, I find that there are so many moments in like he, humanity can easily come from these moments of failure because that mm-hmm. allows us to connect. It allows us to share like pain and an understanding of pain or loss or shame or grief or these things that we typically feel when we fail at something. And that allows us to connect with other people when they also feel those things and allows us to understand and allows for those more human moments of compassion. Um, And so uh, these moments of quote unquote failure that Cora goes through over the course of the season are some of the moments that hit the hardest for me because like I feel them, like Mm. I physically Mm -hmm. feel those moments when she goes through them because I've, I've gone through those moments before and like, I've never lost my bending ability. Right. Like, and, and, but this idea of, um, fear, being scared that you're not good enough, being scared that people are going to um, be hurt because of something that you did or didn't do. Like, those are very real feelings. And so 
the humanity that comes from those failures from her are the ones that hit the hardest for me over the course of this episode. And I think that that's similar to how we process the real world. Yeah. And I just, and I want to also highlight that there is a privilege, right, for masculine, male-identified folks, right, to be able to kind of, you know, stumble through, right? But there's an added pressure of being female or femme-identified where you're not, there's so much pressure because there's already questions about you being in the room to begin with, right? And there's, there seems to be, there was, well, when I, when you, when you think about it, there seems to always be this goading about whether or not Cora is going to be the real thing, right? Is Cora going to fall into the legacy of Kiyoshi, right? Like, so we have to constantly think about how there's this added pressure because she is a woman or, you know, identifies as a femme presenting person, right? How that also adds extra pressure because you have to be extra confident because you're already invalidated as soon as you get into the room. And another thing is she's still a teenager, right? Which has all types of implications about just trying to chart out on your own, trying to create your own identity. You've been sequestered for, you know, ever since you were a toddler, basically. And so many people have expectations about who you're supposed to be. And here you are, you have to kind of make good on all these investments, as well as the things that you have said and boasted about yourself. And I think like thinking about that pressure, right? And thinking about how humanity is deeply layered and textured and how expectations impact our ability to walk in our humanity or reject our humanity ties Cora and Anon in this really weird way because both of them have to make good on an investment. Anon with his father and Cora with this community that has tried to train and push her to be Avatar. And it's interesting because we see Cora from the ample amount of males in this show, right? Con- consistently get questioned, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it all the way back in episode two when Cora meets Mako and Bolin, Mako's like judges her immediately just because she shows up and assumes that she's one of Bolin's just you know like flattering over Bolin and and then he realizes and he says after he realizes that she's the avatar he's like and I'm an idiot right and it's mm-hmm. one of those things that's just like it's consistent like she is constantly both underestimated and because she is the avatar like at the same time overestimated in a way it's just the added pressure of all of these dynamics is this is what being human means, right? Even when we have avatar-like qualities, even when like the people with special abilities in this world, like in our world and reality are around, there is they are still human, right? We are all human. And it's it's this grappling with and noticing these different layers that makes us all trying to grapple with things that are really difficult to see without the ability to to see it from another's perspective. Absolutely. And so I'm, I think my question for, for, for that is when like empathy is clearly a really important component to being able to develop 
an understanding of of the shared humanity between us, right? Can you mm-hmm. like can you point to point to that anywhere in this or is there a moment that that, that you kind of think of when when I say that or does that make sense? Is that resonating at all or yeah. is that just completely off base? No, I and you know, it's I hate to say it, it's in the boat scene, right? Of this like shared empathy that that okay and you have to remind me of the councilman's name because i always forget i yeah that's I, it's tarlock and then noah talk yes so when tarlock is talking about noah talk and they're talking about going home and like and you have this moment right where where tarlock sees how there is really truly no way to redeem because because his father has rendered his brother a monster. And as much as he would love to offer the grace of humanity and lived out, he knows what he has to do. And there's an empathy in being able to make that sacrifice and realize that it, we would be better off. And I know that sounds really strange for a therapist to say, right? That, you know, murder suicide is a form of shared empathy. But that was major, one of the major scenes. And I think also, if we think about how Cora's community rallies behind her at the loss of the other three elements um, and shows, like, you know, tries to offer comfort and distance in the midst of the grieving before she goes into spirit spirit mode right and i think that there's some type of tenderness that is held in both of those scenes right um and i and i and i want to say that like i think when we think about our own journeys and about loss right and thinking about how our stories don't always have happy endings, right? There's a certain level of tenderness and connection that happens among people who can identify with that, um, that really knits and shows and fortifies relationships in a way that just sharing victories don't. I find like in my own journey, the more that I have lost and met with people um, who have also suffered similar losses, the more that I can understand how that shows up and what, what that tenderness feels like and what that pain feels like. And it makes me lean in more to figure out a way to connect and to bear witness and to be with. Um, if if I didn't have that knowledge before. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, there's just, it's just, there's a lot, a lot in this episode that, and especially with these two points, I I think it's really important to highlight what you're saying. And and I, I wonder, and tell me your response to this, either of you, for, for me, like I, I see you're kind of lifting up this empathy that Tarlock is kind of experiencing. For, for me, what I what I see in a way is he you, you mentioned the word like Noah talk has become this monster, right? And in a, in a way, that is a is is seeing a loss in the humanity 
that he once had, right? Mm-hmm. So one thing that, like, pointed out to me is when he says, like, oh, Noah Tuck, like, I barely remember that name. I wonder if to do the things that he's had to do, he had to asso- if he had to dissociate the humanity himself, right? Had to really lean into this idea of being a monster. Had to create this alter ego. Get it, a, a monster. Right, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had, he had to do this so – because when it it feels like it starts to eat at himself so you have to disassociate you have to kind of put yourself in a different headspace to be able to do the things that he's done um and it goes to the way that we even the way that we as people have to dehumanize others um and if 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 we are intending to cause harm over time which hopefully Mm -hmm. we're not but we see that that's a thing that happens like that's the base level of mass genocide is the starting of the dehumanizing process like what are the names we can use what are the ways that we can take the humanity away from people and it almost feels like Amon had to do that to himself to be able to do those things as well absolutely Um, because oh go ahead no go jump in yeah no because at the core of all of this it's survival right like underneath the thumb of abuse and this is not to say that if you suffer from um, childhood abuse that you're inherently a monster. I'm not saying that at all. But what I do think is that in order to contort to the vision that um, Tarlock and Tarlock's father wanted, he had to detach. And you see this dissociation happen at the Battle of the Brothers, as I called it, right? You saw it already yeah. happening. And being able to say, and I, and he never looked back, like he left home and never looked back. And this idea of when you can fully devoid yourself of home, of loyalty, of self, and to be able to put on this disguise, because you could have clearly done this whole situation showing your face. It did not require the face paint. But you chose to do that to be able to detach yourself, not only from any type of ties or um, family, but to detach yourself from yourself. And the fear that happened when he was found out to be a bender, right? Of the, of the removal of the mask, you could tell that he also still couldn't connect to who he actually was in that moment. Well, in a way, he still had a mask on, right? With the mm-hmm. with the painted scar, and like it, it's interesting to me to see to be able to the first time you see his facial expressions is when you really see like the there's just there is so much emotion in in his response to Cora and being called out and being being named for who he is that I, that that it just. Whoa, there's so much there. It feels like he's lying to himself in those moments. It's feeling like that's calling him out. Like it's it, it becomes like, all right, I am the monster that I've was thought to be because she's calling out and lifting up these lies that I'm like it's it's calling me out and kind of it's revealing who I am. It's lifting the mask, it's peeling back the veil. It's and so I wonder if that's like it starts to dig in like that did shame hit the first time? Was that the first time shame had hit for him in a while? Um, or guilt around any of the stuff that he's done. Um, side note, and this is not meant to be, did he have to do the makeup every day? <laughs> just because, like, just in case the mask came off? Like, just in ah. case, like, just in case it fell off, like, I have to have this thing here. 
Um, I wonder if that was an everyday thing for Amon. I I would think Just, so. That was, yeah. That's I mean, dedication, but. That's a lot of time, right? That was really the scarring makeup. That wasn't just a thirty-second thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not to armor. Not back into the serious conversation, <laughs> but it, it's the armor. It, um, but that's I. It's one of those things of I don't I don't even know where the point I was going with this, but I just feel like that was a moment for him where did his own did he was he revealed and kind of get his like look in the mirror moment. Um, when she called him out for those and then have to like quickly recover and try to, the avatar is lying. She's grasping at straws and all that stuff. So, but yeah. oof, oof. a moment that I want to lift up is this moment at the end where everyone is back, uh, at, um, at the South pole. Mm-hmm. That's where they are right at this point the South Pole, uh, and just sitting in the room waiting for Katara's, like, evaluation. Is felt her healing going to work or no? Felt so much like a hospital waiting room to me, mm-hmm. which is a weird thing. Like, I feel like everything gets stripped away in a hospital waiting room. Like, everything that – it's just – there's so much fear and grief, and it is shared almost among everybody who is in that space. Um and but to see everyone there to that cares every support system that Cora has there is not something we all get in the moments that Cora is going through and mm-hmm. that like it actually brought tears to my eyes watching it because of the amount of support and love she has from from everyone that she cares about that is in that space um and just thinking about how that is not something that everyone has when they're going through those moments, but the power of when it is there, when true, true support is there from loved ones. Well, and what's what hard about do. that is that she's not able to accept it either because, mm-hmm. because she has lost her bending. She feels that she is not worthy we accept of the that love, love we think we deserve. Right? which is exactly right. The, the Chabosky quote. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like when, when that happens, we we start telling ourselves this this story that we are unlovable that we are not worthy we are like that that is very human right mm-hmm. to me that is one of the devastating qualities of being human is that sometimes we feel unlovable and we feel like we are no we're no longer worthy and it's in these moments that that having those people in that waiting room matter the most right that's mm-hmm. that's when it really matters and it's just i agree it's just a really touching moment to see some people that you wouldn't expect to be to be waiting on cora in this moment right like right i like i don't know that lynn was i, I don't sense that amount of affection from her but she was present right it's there's just clearly the course of this this season uh developed a relationship then developed some mm-hmm. compassion there and i just think it's it's really beautiful yeah, and I think what also um, is at the cores, right, is if I lose the thing that I do, will community still love me? Or do they only love me for what I do versus who I am? And I think that kind of anxiety that is centered around um, function over friendship and like whether or not I'm worthy of having community if I cannot perform the task that is avatar um, or the task that is, you know, pro bending athlete. 
um, I think is a real strong um, impulse because we often have to ask ourselves, if I can't work myself into worthiness, am I still worth the love and care of community? That's a very human question to ask. And we often oh, hide it behind. So... Sorry. No, finish. go ahead. I was gonna say, we often hide behind our identities about what we do and our professions. And we don't actually, actually think about, or we don't actually lean into the fact that people love us for who we are, not what we do. Yeah, and, and this is just so prevalent in developing minds as well. Working with children, <laughs> working with teenagers, this is so prescient and present in that developing form formative place because what happens is we live in a world, unfortunately, that, that values achievement, right? And so you're only lovable when you get an A on your report card. You're only lovable when you get first in your track meet. You're only lovable when you're the best at your sport. I, mean, I never got first in a track meet. <laughs> but like, but there are some families that, that the, the culture of the family prizes achievement mm -hmm. over mm -hmm. everything else. And what that does in the formation of a young person is it makes them feel as though their belonging and their love is contingent upon achievement. And mm -hmm. so we learn this. And so I wonder, I wonder for the avatar, right? I wonder what it's like to <laughs> have everything be dependent, depending, like, depending on how you're raised. You are praised for your achievements. You're like, I wonder how much praise she got for being non-avatar related qualities. Well, and that's what I think that's what I want to highlight is like, what are we celebrating? Because like, yes. what we do does matter, right? Like our, mm -hmm. our value, our intrinsic value isn't like we are worthy of love regardless, mm -hmm. but we also have a responsibility to show other people that, to lift up other people, to make sure that we're pushing back on systems that show people they're not valued like we have a responsibility to do something but we are worthy of love if like regardless and we need to act so what are we celebrating in those moments right is it the you got an a is it the you're the best is it the you won or is it the you're pushing forward you're trying you're supporting other people like what are we celebrating um i think is kind of partners with that yeah that's really and beautiful and we see that, right? So there's this tension that happens all of book one. And I know that like we're focusing on this episode, but I think it's important to talk about since it is a season finale of book one, I think it's to talk about the course of it, right? We see this worthiness wound being exercised and irritated throughout the whole thing with, are you going to help with the fight? Are you just gonna sit on your laurels? Are you going to go and charge into battle or are you only here to receive? Like this constant push and pull about what what Cora's purpose is for being in the city, right? And mm -hmm. like whether mm -hmm. or not her invitation is, her invitation is contingent on the things that she can do for the city rather than just having an open hand hospitality and just being guests of the air temple, right? And I think when you, when, and you know, even the friendships that she's cultivated have been based off of the things that she can do. They grew mm -hmm. to enjoy who she was, but it was all contingent about what you do. And I know that for folks who are 
like myself who are very, very, very much tied to like work-based relationships is very, very hard to distangle. If I can't perform in a certain way, does that make me worthy of things? Or does that make me open to, can I, can I sustain things if I no, can no longer do things? And I have to constantly work at the fact that what I do for people does not equate to why I'm lovable. And I think mm. Cora is faced with the decision that if I cannot do the things that a traditional avatar is supposed to do, which is have mastery of the four elements, will that make me me? Yeah. Does that mean that everything that I am is now stripped away and nothing works because I'm just now an airbender? Yeah. So I, I have a question for you, and this is mm -hmm. um, a, a theory that I think I share with some of the fandom, but I, it's, I, I'm not committed to it, but I, I do think I am on the side of, I think this is my, my thought as well. Okay. So we see the murder-suicide between Noah Talk and Tarlock. And to me, that was almost a foreshadowing to this moment with Korra at the end, where Korra is now at her lowest point, if you will. Mm -hmm. And we see her at the edge of a cliff. We see the tear fall off her face and fall down. And it, to, to me, it just alluded to the possibility that she was in a space as well that was had like suicidal ideation in this, in this mm -hmm. moment where she was at her worst. Is it worth going on? Am I worth it? And I, I think, um, I think my answer is that yes, that this is mm -hmm. a, a moment where she, this is something that she considered. It may not have been something that she ultimately followed through with, but I, I have a strong feeling that this is something that went through her mind. And I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on this moment. Yeah. I, I would not be surprised if that's the route that she was um, thinking through simply because of the how intrinsic is is her life purpose was wrapped up in her abilities. And so yeah. I personally would have thought of I mean obviously we know it's a kids show they probably would I mean I was shocked about the boat scene to be quite honest but um I do see I do see how fandom could consider about suicidal ideation and I think it's really interesting how mental health is a constant thread throughout this whole series let alone this absolutely whole and you know Cora definitely has, has, you know, battles with, you know, I, I can see traits of depression and anxiety and I could see how losing the one thing that keeps you, you, um, would be earth shattering. And I think, I think that's a powerful connection to make because it's very, very accurate. I, if I don't believe that she would have not done that. Like, I don't think she just went on yeah. the cliff just to think about her life. And, and in a way that what that to me really lifts up Mako's actions as <laughs> incredibly 
important, mm-hmm. both leading up to her walking away and also her when she sees him after he's like come to find her after she ran away right it's this Mm -hmm. moment where yes he confesses his love for her which you know may or may not have could have been in a different time but um but other like but the first thing that he says is i i dislike that moment like the the, like hey i'm gonna kind of make this about me right now and tell you how much i love you and like i just i it's, it's complicated. I, I struggle with that. <laughs> yeah. And yet it's very real. But, I feel like people do oh, that. Oh, that's like, so real, right? Like Talk about being human, throw, right? right? Like, but, I'm going to do something really, really, really great and taint it just a little bit, right? It's not the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, read the room, Mako. But that's kind of my, my point, though, is that right before that, right before his confession, right, is mm-hmm. I'm here for you. And that is, like... She wasn't ready to hear it and maybe not even able to hear it and process it. But that is ex- probably like exactly what she needed in that moment was that support. It's like he knew he was about to get booted off the bachelorette. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I just. I, oh. I like, am just like, I, I love you. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't. So, you're you're so only three me... dates in, Mako. <laughs> let me slightly reframe these actions, Thank right? You. Thank you, please. <laughs> because. Well, one could read it as selfish, right? Or Mako was engaging in bystander bystander prevention intervention, right? Where at the lowest point, when all hope is lost, to reassure Cora that the relationship she has is not rooted in the fact that she's Avatar, but because she's Cora. And he was very I, articulate with that too. And I think that articulation is important because of what we talked about earlier. The fact that so much of Korra is wrapped up in, in being an offender, being the avatar. And I think it's really, really important when we lose those abilities or when we cannot function in the ways that we have prided ourselves to function, to hear that even in the midst of what you seem which you would deem as a failure or um, a extreme loss, it does not negate how I want to show up for you and how I desire to be with you. Mm. If you give That's me such permission. a more generous reading, <laughs> that does speak. And I, I, it is a, it does a generous reading, and I think that shows the difference in the way that we like apologize or say things like "I love you" and when we say those words, and because. It was if it's for Cora's benefit, it changes the meaning completely. Completely, than if it is Absolutely. for Mako's benefit, and I think now, that's where we struggle with apologies, or that's where we struggle when we use "I love yous" as like a a last resort is when it's for us and not necessarily for the people that we're apologizing to or telling that we love. And let's be honest: how many of us are really truly graceful when someone is grieving? <laughs> yeah uh i will it's not messy. i won't claim claim grace it's here messy. like <laughs> no one wants to make anyone feel worse yes those no one, things happen all the time yeah no one wants to make anyone feel worse and then if sometimes people are uncomfortable with silence right so and true and the call from katara was give her space let her figure her. it out right and people yes. were like, but like, you know, what do I do? Like, 
how can I fix it? Right. Which is, I hate to say it, is very typical of how males are socialized. Mm. You all mm-hmm. fix because. Oh, I, I, um, I'll own that. I am absolutely a fixer by nature. Yeah. <laughs> I have, Where... I've learned that. I have owned it. I am working on it, but that is so me. Right. So it just, it, to me, it read as a traditional masculine response of something is wrong. How can I fix it? Oh, I can fix it by really reminding her of my love and care for her. I can fix it by giving her the thing that she desires, right? Which is my affection. Even though what what maybe was needed in the moment was presence. And I, I don't understand, but I want to stand with you, even if we stand in silence. One of the things that I'm learning about in class in divinity school right now is the power both power and necessity of lament and mm-hmm. one of the things and i'm like all about it but other people like what the stepsister does in cinderella that's not what i was thinking um but you know I, I, I that is a broadway deep cut joke. that was a deep that's a deep that's cut. for a very yeah niche, that was like rogers part of our cross section of cut. someone who loves legend of Korra <laughs> and also has a deep appreciation of rogers and hammerstein yeah me uh, and you that's, <laughs> like, that's, that's like, who that joke was for i had um, to think about it for a second i really did <laughs> but okay yeah i don't even what was i talking about the importance of the lament which is oh thank you right up my lane so one of the thing one of the the things that i'm catching on to is i've always been all about some sadness and lament you should see my emo poetry from when i was a teenager it's bad uh maybe that'll be a patreon perk i'll read one for oh, for patreon my <laughs> goodness um but can it please be? <laughs> probably not but um uh yeah oh max read let max read it, it for oh, patreon no, that's so much worse uh, okay um but okay, so this power of lament is really important because what we're realizing and what I'm realizing rather in class is that a lot of people are really struggling with this concept that mm-hmm. lament is important. And like, there are some people who are like, oh my God, totally, totally, totally. But then there are other people who are like, but, 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 but. And I'm like, no, 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 but it's important. And so it's one of those things where like, I, I see this lament of Cora and just giving people space as you're talking about to feel grief, to cry, to yell at the world, to scream. And if it's, and if it, and if you're religious to scream at God and like curse God, that is, that is like, talk about being human, That's, right? It's one of the best moments in, in Avatar is when Zuko has that yes, moment on the, exactly. on the mountainside where he's here. asking to be struck by lightning, right? Like that is, one of the most You've powerful never held moments. back before. And we say it on the show all the time. You can't numb your feelings without numbing all of your feelings. Correct. Right? We have you can't to be partly ex- numb. We have to be experiencing fully and processing fully and learn to process those things. But we have to be able to feel grief and sorrow and not try to push that away. But it makes people feel icky. And people don't want to deal with it. People don't want to deal with <laughs> people icky. People don't want to deal with icky. Right? So. Yeah. But there's such power in just being able to cry, yeah. right? One of the things I'm trying to get better at as a as a partner is 
this idea and it's it's right like i am one who's like you have a problem let's talk about it let's talk about it now get it i want to solve it and it's not <laughs> i don't even necessarily want to like fix it immediately but i want to hear about it right like let's mm-hmm. chat about it and sometimes that is not a space where my partner is at and i like i have to be better about it like are we problem solving are we feeling what like i'm just here and I, i'm just gonna be here and be present and that needs to be mm-hmm. enough for me sometimes mm. um and so that's something that I need. Like, that's something I'm consistently working on. Yeah. Oh. I mean, Let's I all think work it's, on that. yeah, I think it's important. And as a therapist, right, we're trained to sit in silence and we're trained to sit and be with people as they are thinking through or feeling through or experiencing hardship and that moment where you know you are really faced with loss and grief sometimes the best thing a person can do is just do you want a snack do you need a blanket okay i'm just gonna be sitting over here text me if you have a need because the yeah. pressure to come up with words, the pressure to come up with answers or to even give hope, right? Is something yeah. that is undue. Fall on deaf ears. It falls on deaf ears, especially when you have been posited or when your existence is tied up in to being the great big hope for this generation, mm. right? And so part of the like, sitting with and waiting of the healing scene, what makes it so hard is that I so identify with Cora because I can only imagine the pressure that she feels when walking out, trying to give an encouraging word or trying to show a stiff upper lip or trying to be unaffected, trying not to lose her strength on top of her abilities. Yeah. in front of everyone and needing that space to just get away and be so yeah. that I can, so I can shake it off and then come back and give you the representative. Um, and so the privilege to allow someone in that space of being raw, it's such a holy and pure place that I think we don't often, we don't often take, we take it for granted because we just assume yeah that that's what it is. But for people who have to be on or have to perform to to disarm ourselves, to take off our own mask, right? Because so, so many unmaskings happened in that moment um, mm. means something. You know, what you're talking about is kind of lifting up a something. I'm in a, I'm in an ethics class, which I'm realizing I really love talking about ethics. Um, yes. Shocker based off this show. Right. It's almost um, like we have a whole podcast. Yeah, yeah. About it. <laughs> but w- one of the things I'm reading about is this, the concept of moral formation and how morality is, is formed within us. And uh, there's, we're talking about like in the development of character. And I, have been in working in character development ever since my 16 year old self got a job at the Y with, as a counselor. Right. Because that's, that's, that's like, that is preached to us 
about what we're doing with children every time we we step through the metaphorical door of going to work right we are constantly focused on character development and you know the the greek for character is is derived from this idea of uh when we we make an impression on something it's from a sculpting mm-hmm. right you create a you develop a character and what that does is it creates an impression and so in order to have an impression upon you you have to be able to be impressed which means if you are like a diamond and you can't be carved right you are it's really difficult to form but what that also means is the more vulnerable we are the more able we are to develop morality and also frankly immorality so it is at mm-hmm. our most vulnerable points that we are most prone to these major changes and developments in our character and in our morals and what we mm-hmm. see here is that Cora is it a is it a really big fork in the road right here where because mm-hmm. this is her most vulnerable that she's ever been right mm-hmm. and thankfully she has this ancestral wisdom that we kind of talked about on your or mm-hmm. last time you were with us yeah. that is able to guide her towards a moral formation that is going to help her move forward in a way that is positive right right versus this other direction of moral immoral formation if you will so i just i I find that analogy to be really helpful in terms of thinking about this and so like again i think the answer like just the the takeaway point there is if we are armoring up all the time we're not going to be able to develop our character we're not able to grow right we're not able to move forward we're not able to be human and so in order to become who we want to become in order to become something greater than who we are now we have to submit to this concept of vulnerability and that's tragic and also really touching and really beautiful at the same time (laughs) right and you know when we think about vulnerability right it is there's two camps right there's the one camp that vulnerability is a strength you know Brene Brown Um, that's me you know yeah right (laughs) and then and then there's my camp right which is like vulnerability is risk it's danger and I need to protect myself right and I think there's a willingness to to hold that both can be right in the moment right I think one of the things that Aang always had a privilege to do that Korra did not, is Aang was always the great diplomat, right? It was just like, can we talk about it first? Or or do I have to throw hands? If I don't have to throw hands, I would choose not to. Like if I don't have to fight, um, and that's based off of conditioning, right? And then you see a warrior (laughs) in Korra, right? Where it's like, I don't have the luxury of being diplomatic because when people swing, they swing for my head. They don't, yeah. they're not going to stop and talk first. They're not going to, they're going to put me to the test and I have to be ready. And I think, you know, when you hold that into tension and we talk about this connection, right? There's a beautiful part about how the avatar realm is the safest place for the human the human concerns of the avatar to be right because only other avatars get how to walk that line between diplomat 
and throwing hands. And I think, you know, it was beautiful to be able to know that at that lowest moment, at that moment in which the decision had to be made, that's when her spirituality came into being. Mm. Um, and because it's often when we cannot see how to connect the dots, that's when things that are beyond ourselves or our highest self come into play to connect the dots for us. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I just had to put that up, point that out there because I think it's no, really I love important. It. I think that's a wonderful place to wrap up like our our main section of the episode. Do we have any other big oh. moments we want to talk about? Even they're all there. No, we we okay, we have we have at least one more. I, I, we can we can there are others we can skip, but we have to talk about Asami and Mr. Sato here. Playing battle bots? <gasps> yeah. We they're like yes. this is this is talk about armoring up. <laughs> like Woo! Gundam wing. <laughs> um okay, yeah, I Yo, I he? just he we has, have to mention this. He right? has this moment, right? Like this moment of like, ah, there's regret on his face. We see it. We see the, the like, ah, what have I become? And then we see her humanize that and be like, she's so mad. And she then sees the humanity. And then he swings on her. Like, what? He Listen. is a terrible father. And that yeah. is not my most generous language. I mean, like, it's called but, out by three people. You, Bolin, and Asami herself. Right, like, you're like a horrible father, Mr. Sato. When it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost like we get to this moment of, you've got a chance. Do you double down? Or do you go for the resolution yes. and admit that you're wrong? And he he, he hits that double down. He hits the whammy, right? Like, he goes, nah, I'm, I'm doubling down. Because um, we, uh. we see Asami tap into his shame. Right? Like, mm -hmm. mom would have hated you. Ugh. Woo. And the dagger is twisted. Yeah. Like, and so I think you, you just, uh, I don't, ah, uh, it's, we want to talk about icky moments of feeling, like, and dealing so, with, with grief and shame and sorrow. And that's, that's what he did. And I think it yeah. kind of goes back to your statement of, like, we're most impressionable or, like, can choose immorality or morality when we're at what we feel is our lowest point and like was Hiroshi Sato there. Yeah. And he can, he picked the side that we would argue is like not the best side. And I think we're conditioned to choose what we have been choosing, right? It's the, the wolf, which wolf do you feed? Which one is stronger? Well, the one that's stronger is going to win out in that moment when you are in that vulnerable spot. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm curious, Indira, do you have, what, what are your thoughts around humanity in this, this moment with Mr. Sato? <sighs> Okay, so <laughs> I can I just say that one, I, you know, I saw it and then I like immediately was like, oh, this needs to be a whole episode by itself. Like this it does 10 yes. minutes. You could sit in that for like that three minutes really needs to be an episode by itself. But I digress. I think this there's two two forts that I'm like dancing between. One, talking about how 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 grief hits different people in different ways, and also mm. how often children advance or hold a mirror to the insufficiencies of our parents' humanities. So say that one more time. Help us like unpack that okay. a little bit. So. Often when our, when parents have children, 
the children tend to hold up a mirror to the cracks in their parents' humanity. And mm. this is why I say, I've worked with teens in community mental health for over 10 years. And when we would, would work for, with children, it was never really the children that were the problem in the household. It was always the parents. And what would happen yeah. is that the children's desire to be better and to grow would rub up against the, the, the um, what's the word I wanna use? The kind of malfunctioning of the adults in their lives. Mm -hmm. Right. And so children desired to be empathetic and the parents would try to like beat that out of them. Children would be more vulnerable and the parents would constantly try to toughen them up instead of understanding that maybe the way that the children were navigating the world is because their worlds were deeply shaped by their own context and not trying to replicate sins of the past. Does that make yeah. sense? No, that's really and so beautiful. we see we see in this moment, right, that the fear of bending, the fear that has been cultivated, you know, in this moment, that it's not a fair fear because the daughter has grown up in a world in which bending is there. There is room for a harmonious bending and non-bending folks to be. She, see the she sees the possibilities. She knows that the possibilities are real. She understands the dichotomy that there are people who make choices, whether they're bending or not bending. And those people have choices to make, but it, the bending doesn't, um, doesn't shape those choices mm. where the father cannot see it, which is why he joins up forces. And so to see someone not only stand alongside love and invite benders into his home with him holding such prejudiced beliefs in his heart and constantly being reminded that the narrative that he's told himself is not a sufficient narrative and being forced to make a decision whether or not you're going to do something different and new and scary or choose to continue your thought process because that's the only thing that has that's the only you can't stand to lose that too yeah well i think the the sad revelation <sighs> here is that again it is it is very human for us to do what hiroshi sato has done like he Absolutely. is not the only person that has made that choice and he will not be the last and it's a very human uh, thing to do that. So I, I think we just, we have, I, I think the takeaway here is how do we constantly ask ourselves, how do we create and cultivate that self-awareness that is just asking that question, right? Am I making this decision for the right reasons? Am I holding on to something that I necessarily should be like i just i think that constant um analysis and questioning and curiosity helps us live into the humanity that we want to live into in a way if does that make sense does it almost center around yeah. like normalizing being wrong and admitting mistakes and failing and it, this idea around humility right it, it, it is but this 
but normalizing that. I was having a conversation with someone today as we were talking about the way that we wanted to lead in the youth programs that we're, we're working in. And part of that conversation was, I made a mistake today. I didn't want to let the kids see that. And I said, sure. And also, can can, can we let the kids see that? Yeah. Can we admit <laughs> and say, hey, I planned out this game and I made a mistake and I didn't plan it as well as I thought I did. And let's talk about like, that doesn't mean I'm not a bad counselor or or that, that that I'm a bad person. It just means that I made a mistake and we can move forward. And how do we normalize that process of admitting that we're wrong or, or, or changing our mind and, and allowing that to be a thing? Um, and I, I wonder what the effect of that would be. I, get, I guess that's teaching humility, right? Like, Yeah. Or just normalizing process over product. I think hmm. if we stop focusing on what we produce and the product of the thing and focus on the process of making the thing, we find that there's more grace and humility because trial and error is required in order for a process, for a product to be perfected. Hmm. That was a lot of peace. And so, <laughs> so in yes, other no, words, no. so in other words, we really have to learn how to allow permission and show the journey of a thing versus the product that was produced from that journey. And mm -hmm. I know mm -hmm. even when I, you know, I, I grew up in a church context, you know, we would often see you know, ministers and pastors, and they would perform this, you know, holy and perfect life. And they never talked about the trials and errors that it took for them to get to their place. And so it always created this undue pressure that I had to be perfect in order to do this work. And it was only until I step behind the curtain and saw how the sausage was made through seminary that I realized that it's a whole <laughs> bunch of imperfect people, right? Who are making yeah, things is. up as they go along. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, <it is. laughs> informed by books, but no one really has it fleshed out. And it's a whole bunch of mess behind the magic that is ministry. And I think allowing that gift is something that I think everyone could benefit from, but especially if we think about this episode, that's really at the heart of it is that there's a journey of becoming that we don't always privilege over the product or the production of what we're supposed to be. Oh, this has been such a good, I want to keep going, and but now we let's can't. talk about we, capitalism yeah. when it comes to regarding and, the product and, 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 and patriarchy like, and all the other things. Let's just dive it. Okay. Anyway, yes. we need to be more focused on getting it right rather than being right. Right. Bingo. Like, we we got to. Mm -hmm. yes. It's just I I left a church growing up when I was at an age where I could make that decision because I was speaking to a pastor about a decision that was made or, or something that was said. And this idea where it was just kind of like, can we admit that, like, maybe that wasn't the best? And it was a, no, I'm right. And you're just like, eh, okay, bye. <laughs> this isn't working for me. And on um, that note. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, we feel that.
let's let's work to get the process right to treat people well to be doing that and let that be the focus yeah which leads us to our next session right we like our next section Se- segment segment the all this whatever it is a session a segment a moment yeah time well, is fleeting we're setting goals because we know we're not perfect and we want to grow and we want to set intentions to help us do that but before we do Absolutely. that we're going to take just a, a brief musical interlude to get our thoughts in order for this next segment and maybe in post this is where max can read one of your poems yeah that's a great idea we'll, not we'll cut to that no if i can convince ben I'm by already, the time this i'm airs, already out of this this is like a, you are about to hear max read a poem <laughs> and we'll be right back all right everyone welcome back from that nice little musical interlude i hope you got to you know ponder what your goal would be i know that it's that's what we did uh but anyway what we're we're talking about is we have the element of air this week, and we are combining that with our lens, humanity, to set an intention or goal for us to, you know, develop and continue to grow. Because that's what this podcast is all about. We want to, we want to become, we want to become, and we want to grow into have that moral formation, if you will. And that's what this podcast is all about. And that's what this segment is all about. And so, I'm gonna uh, throw it to y'all and say. With the element air and with the lens humility, what is a, a goal or an intention that you want to set? Sunshine, you want to go first? Sure. Humanity. 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 What did I say? Humility. Nope. It's humanity. Which, I lied. But those are really those are. We tied talked together. about humility those a lot. It's together. humanity, yep. though. <laughs> um, I think for me, it's it's interesting when you're doing things like podcasting, and I did even radio in college. The the, the concept of dead air, right? Like you, having to fill that space, having to talk, having to make sure that you're just it's not silent for a period of time, and that found its way into my personal life as well. And so I think for me, my intention is is holding space for there to be space, for there to be mm, white space, white space, for there to be silence and sitting in that especially when it comes to being present for someone who's struggling or um moments of grief but just allowing there to be a moment of of silence and sitting in it Mm. and and being better about doing that rather than trying to fill that space consistently or trying to fix things or so that's my intention this week is is how am i creating space for space Mm. i think that's beautiful yeah that's super cool yeah. And Dira, what about you? So this month is kind of is kind of being kicked up for me as far as a busy month. I've had pretty much two and a half months to just not be anything. Um, and so as I am kind of stepping more into the duties of my work, I want to have space and room to remind myself that I'm more than what I do. So my intention is sitting in to the other ways that I am other than my professions and my performance and my roles that I sit in. Um, Getting to know and courting and loving on Indira, Eudophia, full stop, not therapist, not minister, but just who I am. Y'all are great. I don't, I don't. I think we should just skip me because y'all are the best. Um, 
great. So on to the next segment. <laughs> you have an intention or do I mean we can and I think that but here's, I mean, here's the thing with that though, because like we have to allow for that t- sometimes we do need to not necessarily have like an intention for the week, right? Like can, are there weeks where we can just just be? It doesn't mean we can't focus on things. It doesn't mean but like I don't feel like we we always necessarily have to set that intention. Am I off if I, am I off on that? No, I think that's good. No. No. I think there's an intention in not being intentional sometimes and going with the flow and yeah. being breezy. The airflow, if you will. Yes. So you don't have to yeah. set one if you don't want to this week, Ben. Well, if I had said that, that would have been really cool, but since I didn't say it, I feel <laughs> like uh, you can borrow um, it. Yeah. It's our little secret. Yeah. I I'm I'm going to borrow that another time when I I'm going to I'm going to conveniently come back to it in like <laughs> season 7. Um so here we are. Here we are. So I I've found over the past week similar to you uh, because of for me it was a break from school, right? It is this mm-hmm. coming back to school all of a sudden I am immediately thrown into anxiety and feeling tense and I store my tension in my shoulders and in my stomach. And I I find that I literally get an upset stomach when I become anxious and Mm -hmm. I forget to eat. Like I, I I haven't eaten lunch like three days this week. And it's, it's one of those things where I just get so hyper-focused that I, in, in a similar way to what you were talking about, I forget to, hold space for me because I'm there's such a high priority on getting everything done because I like to get everything off my list, but you just can't do it all. in like, even like five days, much less ever, like just, it's so hard. It's a never ending thing. And so for, for, for me, it's giving myself the capacity to, to take a break and take a breather, if you will, from, the rigor of the day and again Mm -hmm. if i'm not able to get all the reading done from my class that doesn't mean that i'm not intelligent it doesn't mean that i'm not worthy of being in this institution it's not indicative of my my worthiness it is me giving myself the mental breath of being able to continue on right and i I think that's what i'm giving myself permission to do is to is to not work so hard. <laughs> yeah. So in a way, uh, it's a similar me... deal to like not setting an intention, but like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Remind me to tell you uh, off recording what you need to do about that. But I will say Ooh, this. I'm don't so, allow I'm so, no one, <laughs> I, I will do that. <laughs> don't allow no one to make you, make you rocky on the fact that you need to be a living, breathing human being. Yeah. There is yeah. no work if you're not you can't do the work if you're not here. Mm. For sure. There's the quote. There that's, it is. That's the that's the takeaway point right there, y'all. You, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mic drop. Uh but don't drop the mic yet because we have one more segment. Uh These we are have expensive uh, mics. You yeah. Drop <laughs> don't them, drop then. that. Um so okay, we have uh you know gratitude, gratitude. it's yeah. it's the it's the best the final gratitude of the season there's a reason we save the best for last right gratitude it's yeah. the last one of the season the season's done after this oh wow i think oh. we'll be back for season two 
book two, season so. five. Book two, season five. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's favorite season of Avatar-related media. <laughs> oh, that's going to be a hoot when we get into that. Uh, but okay, <laughs> gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Um, Sunshine, sure. who are you grateful for and why? Tell us. I trash-talked Mako a little bit earlier. You did. This episode. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm going to also You taking say, it back? No. I, <laughs> it was still a very Bachelorette-style <laughs> moment for me. I've been watching a lot of The Bachelor recently, so I'm very much in it. Mm. Um, he does so much throughout this episode that I would argue is above the call of duty. Mm. ABCD, um, above and beyond the call of like duty. He puts his, phys- like his, his actual life on the line several times. Um, which is not like, that's not a call to duty. That the people have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but he does for Korra. And he shows up again and again. And he's present. And he's there. And he doesn't have to go with her to the to the polls to to be with her when she's being healed. or But he's there. And I just... I have all the gratitude in the world for that. I think I, I enjoy when people are there for me in a similar way. Not that people have like put themselves in front of a bloodbending uh you know head of an organization like that but but that's a for me it's just the way he shows up over and over again um i'm just very grateful for him for that mm. so that's mine i think mm-hmm. that's wonderful indira who are you grateful for i am grateful today for katara because elders um, I appreciate a elder who just knows what to say to people, how to dispatch people and allow people the room and the grace to be. Um, Katara reminds me a lot of my grandmother who is the light of my world. And one of the things is that whenever something is I feel like is the end of my rope. Just being around her reminds me that there's there's plenty of rope left, right? Um, and so just being able to carve out the space and to, to tell the room what they need to do is so was so important, so beautiful. And that connection of I've seen and witnessed so many losses and I can bear witness to yours. I just think it's beautiful mm. and I love her and yeah, all the things. Yeah. I love her too. Oh, so good. Okay. Um, I am grateful for, it, it was kind of hard to choose. There's, there's a lot to be grateful for in this episode. It's, again, it's just like this whole episode is kind of like a full season of, of television. Um, but I, I think I'm going to choose Lynn for a similar reason to why Sunshine, why you chose Mako, but also very different. But like Lynn had like there was no need for Lynn to come down to the South Pole to support Cora. Right. And, and she's sitting here in this waiting room and she's she's in she is like this very gruff personality at the beginning of the season. She like was 
super not about Cora. Like, I don't want you here. Get out. Like, I'm gonna put you in jail. And and now she's sitting here in this waiting room, like hoping and like I am like hoping and praying and and wanting like feeling compassion for Cora in a way that you probably never would have expected after watching episode one and just the development and the arc of her being able to sit in this room is really beautiful. And I think it reveals a lot about her as a character. And I, and I think that I'm grateful for her being willing to be vulnerable in this space and be intimate in a way that she's not really prone to do elsewhere in the, in the series. So I'm just I'm thankful. I'm grateful for her. Yeah. And let's be honest, she was navigating her own loss while bearing witness yeah. to Cora's. Yes. Because she could have yes. been sitting in her own place with her own pity. So, yeah. That mm. was a good one. Oh, thanks. What a season. What a season. Y'all, we finished so good. season one of Cora, book one of Cora. We did it! Oh. Thanks to Thanks to Ben. Thanks to Max. Yeah. Thanks, thanks to all of our wonderful guests, including Indira. Indira, thank you so much for for blessing us with being here today mm. and, and coming back. You and know, uh, as always, you. you always have uh, a spot on our show if you ever want one. You just get to you get a Aww. run of the middle of the episodes. That I you want that pick. episode. <laughs> yeah, you pick whatever you want in season two, three, and four. We'll chat about it. Absolutely. I just thank you for allowing me to share and nerd out with you and ramble, you know, because mm. I don't get to talk about it often. So thank you so much for inviting me and just the hospitality that you always extend every time I come. And where and where can all the people find you if you, you want can, if you want them to? Yes. <laughs> so you can find me if you are looking for me professionally. Um, you can find me on www.iamudofia.com. Um, yes, I finally was an adult and got a website. Um, and you can also find me on Twitter and Facebook if you just want to be pals and see me um, randomly musing um, in between my breaks from reading. Mm. So one day I'll be an adult and that's, I'll know that I'm an adult when I have a website. Is that, that's the, that's the marker? <laughs> no, no, it's not the marker, but it was the marker <laughs> for me. because <laughs> It was the marker for me because I had been told for 10 years to get one. So. <laughs> gotcha. Well, remember everybody, you can find us also at BNB underscore pod on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, Patreon, <laughs> Patreon, um, and because that's a great place to support us. You get all there, the bonus content. There's, there's bonus content there. You get to help choose lenses for episodes. You get all kinds of cool stuff. Live episodes sometimes. It's really neat. Yeah, it's a thing. Yeah. People do it. Yeah. <laughs> people do some people do it yeah some people (laughs) that's right well awesome yeah support us in all the places and we're excited to be back for season two here in a little bit so not sure if that'll be next week or if that will be a month down the road but we're excited to get to it oh and to wrap up the season i am sunshine mayfield and this has been pruitt and this has been bending not breaking thank you for listening (laughs) bye-bye